Well, it is so good to be back here with you again this year. And thank the Lord, it is so much cooler in here than it was last year when I preached. I think, I think it was 142 degrees last year in here, somewhere around there, I, I don't know. But all I know is that everyone's shirts were completely stopping wet, and today I feel a breeze cool in here. I feel like I can preach. I feel like I can preach. Uh, I do want to, you gave me the idea, Judy, I mean, since Facebook is broadcasting this live, you know, my father uh, texted me late last night, he's in Southern California where I'm originally from, and, and he, uh, he texted me, hey, you're going to do great tomorrow, send me a link, let me know uh, so I can watch it. And uh, so, happy Father's Day, Dad. Thanks for your support. <clears throat> Why don't, we, uh, why don't we pause for a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll hear what God has for us today. Father, thank you that we get to come to your throne not of judgment and fear but boldly to the throne of grace. You are a father who sees Everything about us knows everything about us. And yet you are a father who runs out to us, welcomes us home, and in overwhelming joy throws a party for us. So we give you praise and thanksgiving. We ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak through your very imperfect servants feeble lips. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my, uh, my favorite cereal on planet Earth are these little culinary delights known as O's. For those unfamiliar with this amazing treat, they are little O-shaped bits of granola, honey, and graham perfection in a bowl of whole milk, not 2%, not 1%, not non-fat, whole. I have loved them ever since I was a kid. However, there was a problem. When we were living full-time in New York City, I went to the store, every store that I could think of within a mile or two radius and could not find any boxes of O's. None of this breakfast gold was available to me, and my wife, because she loves me, knew that this caused a big hole in my heart, and so she went on the internet, and she went to a little website called Amazon, and she found on Amazon that you could order these O's and have them delivered to your door. Yes, it's true, you could. And so within a couple days after she had gone on the internet, they arrived at our door. And because I'm a man of incredible generosity, I decided to let each of my three boys try this bowl of heaven for themselves. Now, of course, because they have great taste and are very high culture types like their father, they love the O's too. Oh, so much that between the three of them in two days, both boxes were gone without dad getting a single bite. Yeah, that's right. Feel sorry for me. 
I was not excited about this, and so the next time my bride ordered the O's, I hid them. As soon as I could, in a top-secret place that shall remain nameless, in case one of my boys is watching on Facebook now, and only when they are off to school do I take out my hoarded treasure and have a couple bowls of myself. I, like, close the door as on their way out. I'm, like, having a good day of school, and then, ah, you know, I hoard, and I enjoy, and I eat. When, when you come across something really good that you really enjoy... It's actually instinctive to want to keep it to yourself, to hoard to yourself. We can do this with all sorts of things. In fact, I, I, think, I think a lot of the time Christians do this with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest gift ever given to the world is easy for us to simply adore and to look at and to marvel in and write endlessly about amongst ourselves and even argue about if you're on social media amongst ourselves, sometimes only amongst ourselves. But the truth about this gift is that it was always meant to be shared with others. So in today's scripture passage from 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, therefore, refers to himself and by extension to the church, to us, with the term ambassadors. That is, someone who is on the authority of their king entrusted to be his representative to the nations. Someone called to share his message. So what does it look like to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ to our world today, to our neighbors today, to our friends and to our co-workers today? What does it look like? Well, first it means that we actually focus on proclaiming the message he's given us to proclaim. Now the reason I start there is because, frankly, I'm convinced that generally speaking, the Christian church has a messaging problem. Too often the church finds itself focusing on a thousand lesser things instead of the message the king has given them to share. So we confuse our politics with the gospel and unknowingly give the impression that to be a Christian uh, means one has to vote for a certain political party or a certain candidate. We, we confuse our, our own interests and hobbies with the gospel so that the message we subconsciously give to the outsider or people not interested in the same things we are is that they're frankly just not really in the club. Or if it's not that, we may subconsciously give off the impression that someone must fit into our cultural background to be in good with the king. Now, most of us would never actually say that. I don't think anyway. But subconsciously, we can too easily give off the vibe to people that we meet that there's other criteria involved in this message. 
But the very definition of an ambassador is clear. When an ambassador is sent out on his leader's authority, he is not to act as though the king sent him out to talk about all of his particular views about all the things. No, the ambassador is called to declare that which his king has given him to declare. What is that message? I think our passage spells it out very clearly, very easily. Verse 18, that there is a God who created us and rules over us. It's as fundamental as it gets. Secondly, that we have transgressed against this God, verse 19. Transgressed means to sin against him or to disobey him, to walk opposite of the way that he would want us to walk. Again, verse 19, this God has overlooked our transgressions, not counting them against us. And the reason that is, is because God has counted our transgressions against Christ, his son, verse 21. And that because of this work of Christ, Paul says in verse 18, the whole creation is reconciled to this God. Verse 20, therefore, tells us that God calls all people from every tribe, nation, tongue on planet Earth to receive this reconciliation, to simply say, okay. And that those who do accept the terms of peace will be called now new creations. Verse 17. In other words, we have great news to declare. The war between God and mankind is over. The war's over. You don't have to fear. You don't have to run. You can put down your arms because he loves you enough to die for you. Such good news. So much good news. Now, you, you might be sitting here saying, well, duh. Of course, of course, I've heard this before. And yet, here's why I focus on it. I spent so much time talking to people on the streets of New York City, asking them to tell me what Christianity was, what their view of Christianity was, and almost never did I hear this message. Instead, I heard all sorts of other things. They knew about our morals. They knew about our politics. They knew about our judgments. They knew about our clubs. They didn't know about Christ and the forgiveness of sins. That that is literally the message of this gospel. I'm telling you, we have a messaging problem, folks. A while back, I had a very interesting conversation with a guy I met on the street. My wife and I were staying at that time at a hotel in, in San Diego, celebrating our anniversary, and uh, she had gone up to the room before me just a bit, and as I stood outside ready to go in, I, I saw this, this young guy run past me, like really fast, just kind of frantic, and then run past me again, really frantic, and then run past me again. And then finally, the last time I saw him, he was sort of walking, you know, breathing heavily, and my curiosity was piqued. I wanted to know what on earth he was running from or running to. So I asked him, I said, uh, you mind if I ask what you were running to and from for? And, and he said, oh, I had to get my, uh, I had to get the magazine I work for uh, into the, the press or into the, the printer before deadline. He worked for the, the local 
LGBTQ magazine in the San Diego area, he had told me. And so I asked him, I said, you know, being that you work for this magazine, what are the issues that you're covering right now? This was some years ago. It was when uh, same-sex marriage was being debated in the state of California. And he said marriage, of course, is the big, big hot-and-button issue. And, and I said, and, and what are the biggest challenges to you? And he said, uh, Mormons and Christians. And I, I said, okay. And, you know, I didn't tell him. I, I don't go around telling people, like, uh, let me introduce myself. I am Reverend Eric Sorensen. You know, no. I, I rarely introduce myself as a pastor. I was just having conversation with him because I didn't want him to freeze up and get uncomfortable. And so I just kept on asking questions. And we started talking about his background, and it turned out that he was raised in a, a very active Christian home. It turned out that his father was, was an elder at the church. His mom was the church's administrative assistant. His whole life he was deeply involved in church. He even told me that when he was 18, he went to Bible college for a year. But then he also confessed to me that he was really struggling because he was living in a really bad relationship, a really abusive situation, and had gotten himself into an awful lot of trouble. So I said, what, what do you think how do you think all that came to pass? You went from Bible college and you're just this kind of almost sheltered Christian kid to now you're in San Diego and you're in this terrible relationship doing things that uh, you know, you're feeling pretty weighed down about. And he, he theorized for me. He said, I, you know, I, I think there was always a distance between me and, and my father. And so I just never, I never felt... Uh, close to him. I never felt loved by him. I still don't feel loved and accepted by him. And then he, and then he said, secondly, I, I think because of the struggles that I've had, I feel like if there is a God, he surely has turned his back on me by now. And I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, I, I, have to, I, I have to just tell you, I'm, I'm actually a pastor. That's what I do for a living. And he looked a little surprised. Oh, no, you know. And I said, I just, I just need to tell you something. God did not turn his back on you. But he did turn his back on his own son for you. And he did that so that he could be the father that you always wished you had. And he did that so that your sin would be paid for and taken care of and you would become a new creation. And I promise you, he really is the father you always hoped for. I just need you to know that. And as I'm saying this, I, he, tears are streaming down his face. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, growing up in church, I never heard that. Shortly after that, he had to leave. And, and all I can tell you is when he went to leave, I went to, you know, be prim and proper, shake his hand. He hugged me, and he put his head in my shoulder area, and it was, it, it was like one of my kids. That's what it felt like. And for a moment, I just hugged him, and he promised me that he would seek to find a church that preached that message. 
To be ambassadors to his world simply means to declare that message. That's it. That said, I'll acknowledge there is some skill involved in being an ambassador of the gospel. We are called to proclaim the message of the king in a way that can be understood. That's true. In other words, we, we have to take into account who we are actually speaking to so that we can communicate effectively. Now, I do not mean here that we change the message at all. We don't. We can't. We're bound to it. It's what the word of God says. Besides, we don't want to. The message is the very power of God for salvation. But what I do mean is that we may have to adapt the way that we tell it for those who hear it. Theologians refer to this with the fancy word contextualization. I'll give you an example. For my own network of churches, we send out a number of world missionaries to places like Chad and Africa. But before we do that, we spend an awful lot of time training them in the language and the culture and the customs of the people that they're going to minister to. Why do we do that? Because we know that as well-meaning as one might be in preaching the gospel, if they do it in English in a place where literally no one else speaks English, it's not going to be quite as effective. If we send them out without proper knowledge of the, court, of the culture they're engaging, it will be far too easy for them to be needlessly offensive or to use illustrations that the people cannot relate to. The Bible is filled with examples of how God speaks to people where they're at at any given time. Think of the day of Pentecost when God causes his disciples to speak in all the languages of the many nations that were gathered there. Think of the Apostle Paul in, in uh, the first letter of the Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 19, where he says, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And what does he say? To the Jews I became as a Jew, to Gentiles I became as a Gentile. Why? Why? That I might win some. Oftentimes we assume, especially, especially here in America, that the people we talk to understand our words and our expressions, but the truth is most of the time they've never heard the language we use in any other context. I've, I've had this come through to me many, many times in my conversations with people. And many, many times I have messed it up, let me tell you. I mean, I've been speaking what is fondly known as Christianese. Well, you see, because we're sinners who have transgressed a holy God that needed, God needed to provide propitiation so that our sins could be atoned for and that results in God's ability to love on us. By the way, that phrase is a little, little odd. This misunderstanding happened with my own grandfather. He was a non-Christian, and for so many years I tried to share the gospel with him. I was passionate. I had that, that zeal of my teens just coming to faith. And I would proclaim to him, Grandfather, Grandpa, you are a sinner. And you need to be forgiven from God. In my zeal, Grandpa, you are wretched. And you need the grace of Almighty God. And finally, after years of doing this and trying to communicate this, one day my grandpa said to me, Eric, I just don't understand what I did to make you think I'm so bad. 
And it dawned on me, I hadn't defined my terms for him. I hadn't talked to him about what I meant when he heard the word sinner. He heard terrible, terrible person. In fact, my grandpa was the best guy I knew. World War II hero, married faithfully my grandma for 60 plus years, raised two great kids, was wonderfully loving to me all my life, and suddenly I'm showing up at 16, and I'm like, repent, wretch. See, I didn't explain to him that what I was talking about was before God and not compared to other people. Compared to other people, there was no one better. But no matter how good you are compared to other people, it's not, it doesn't meet the standard of the righteousness of God. And that's why we need the gospel. So as ambassadors, we must take into account the people we speak to and seek to share the gospel with so that we, we can effectively communicate with them. And lastly, to be a Christian ambassador means that we proclaim the message of our king with abandon. There's no limits, folks. There's no limits. Black, white, tall, short, Americans, Africans, Europeans, Asians, rich, poor, murderers, moralists, Muslims, Jews, atheists, rapists, prostitutes, thieves, deadbeat dads, abusers, addicts. I could go on and on and on and on. There is no limit. The gospel of our king, the message of our king, we get to proclaim with abandon because we know God can save anyone. Nobody's beyond his reach. Not a single person. I've seen it. I've experienced it. If God can save a sinner like me, I have not a single problem believing he can save anyone out there. And I get to tell people how it happens. You get to tell people how it happens. What a gift. I've seen it. I've seen it. I'm telling you, I've seen it. A while back, we were putting together a, a little promotional video for my, uh, for my church plant from from a bunch of different interviews with people from the church, just asking them what the church had meant to them and, and how it had impacted their lives. And, and then we were going to do a collage. We were going to edit down all of their answers and try and do a collage of what they said. And basically, most of the videos said the same thing. Almost everybody said, the best thing about this church for me was the community, the community of people, the way that we have grown in our friendships and love for one another, the community. After about six or seven of these interviews, I was like, so what about the preaching? No, no, not really. It was the community, the community, the community. It was great. And so they, they, you know, the, the person who had done the videos and was going to edit them uh, had sent them to me, and then he sent me one that he had not edited, and he said, I... I watched Isaiah's story and I thought I'd better show this to you first before 
I go chopping it up. And I watched it and I was floored. So I'd like to introduce you to one of the members of our church in New York City in Epiphany, Isaiah Dewan now with a short video as he explains his story. Okay, what Epiphany means to me, it means my life. Uh, all my life I've known what I wanted to be. It was a bad guy, a drug dealer. And I carried that through and through, like started that in eighth grade. And that's all I wanted to be. I mean, I've been addicted to every drug there was. I've tried everything there is to try. Sold everything um, all across the U.S. Um, I got an awakening last year. Um, I had a great time. Like I suffer from a, a head thing called uh, schizoaffective disorder, which you get bipolar, you hear voices and stuff like that, which kind of pushed me away from everyone. I um, stopped looking at friends as my friends, family as my family. I kind of got shut out. I shut myself out from everything. And, well, I ended up in a homeless shelter, and some guy at the right time just told me the right things, that, you know, God's there for you. He puts you on your path, and no matter what you can do, you'll never get off it because it's his path for you. And he, would, he wouldn't put you there if it wasn't meant to be. So that struck me pretty hard at the lowest point in my life where I didn't want to fight anymore. I'd given it up. I, I was tired of fighting. I was done. And that's all I needed to hear. And then uh, I slowly came um, through my in-laws, actually brought me to Epiphany. They go to Eric's church in New York or New Jersey. And uh, they told me just eight blocks down was a church. So... I started coming here a week after Mother's Day, and I've been coming ever since and love it. A couple of weeks after, I asked uh, the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart just from what had happened here, what I'd learned, what I had heard. It's a life changer for me, this place. It saved me. It's, it's great. And I don't know where I'd be without it. Probably not around. I've tried multiple times in the past because I couldn't handle it by myself, thinking I could to try and end it, either with pills or cut both my wrists. I slashed my face. I had burn marks all over, all self-inflicted, because I didn't know how to, where to direct anything. But now God, he gave me a chance to, to change my life around. And what I want to do with my future is relate to other people where I've been. And I think I can touch a lot of people that way and show them the way that I've been taught. Jesus Christ is the answer, Lord our Savior. Isaiah is once again living proof that God, God saves and uses anyone. As a matter of fact, you know, he said at the end there what he wants to spend his life doing is sharing his story. Well. Isaiah is currently in the process of, of working towards being in pastoral ministry. That's what he wants to do now. Because he wants to share what Jesus has done for him. He wants to share this message so that he can be an ambassador and see other people experience what he's experienced. To become a new creation, to have new life. So friends, as we go out here standing on this message... 
seeking to proclaim it in a way that our neighbors can understand and recognizing that our king's message has all the power to break down any hardened heart. Let us go with confidence. God is on the move. Or to use C.S. Lewis's name for him, Aslan is on the move and he is moving through you to be his ambassador to this world. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, oh, how easy it is to be overwhelmed by those around us, to even hype up in our mind and be intimidated by what others have going on around us so that we, we become timid and fearful. Oh, God, but the truth is everyone is so often dealing with the same things. Fear of rejection, insecurity, not sure what they can hope in. In the back of their mind, if they consider you, they wonder if you're either mad at them or if you care about them at all. God, help us to be ambassadors of the message that declares the war is over that terms of peace have been won by the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.